Hi, uh, my name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors of this church. Uh, before I get into God's word, I'm just going to pray for us. Let's bow down and pray with me. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for tonight. We come coming together um, to worship you. And as we now come into your word, pray that you will help us to understand it um, better. In your son's name we pray. Amen. One of my hobbies is planes. I love planes. Um, and when I go on holidays, one of the highlights is actually the flights. The destination is the bonus, but the flight is actually a highlight for me. Um, last year, I went to New Zealand uh, for two weeks, and I had to spend a week in Auckland. And so I decided I'll fly land Chile to Auckland on their brand new 787 um, Dreamliner. But then I also thought about I want to fly the A380, and Emirates fly the A380 from Sydney to Auckland as well as Christchurch. And so I went down to Christchurch just so that I could fly the A380 for the first time and Emirates for the first time. And it made my day. That was the highlight of the trip. Um, and at the end, when we got back to Sydney, I asked the, copy, uh, the pilot if I could see in the cockpit for a photo, and they let me. Uh, so that really made my day. I will love that trip. I'm a huge plane geek, and there's a hashtag called hashtag eighth geek for people like me. Uh, some people think I'm crazy. But I have a friend, Matt, who works for Qantas, and he's crazier than me. Matt will often uh, fly on staff discount to other cities in Australia for the weekend. Uh, we fly to Sydney to Melbourne, then Melbourne to Cairns, Cairns to Brisbane, Brisbane to Perth, Perth to Darwin, then back to Sydney. Some of you, he does that regularly. But his friends, he's not playing, but his friend, Mitchell, is crazier than him. Mitchell loves flying. He just loves to be on a plane. And a few years ago, when Qantas started flying from Sydney to Dallas, Mitchell flew on that plane. He flew from Sydney to Dallas, and he stayed one night in a hotel in Dallas. Then he flew back to Sydney. And the plane, the flight's about 60, 17 hours long, one way. You can see he loves flying. People like us, we love planes. He can say we're on fire for Jesus. Uh, for, yeah, we're on fire for playing, sorry. We're on fire for playing, just got to be carried away. We love playing. Anyway, got me thinking, are we like that for Jesus, though? Are we on fire for him? Because we all have our hobbies, but the Bible commands us we should be on fire for Jesus as well. Now, Jesus has a message for us uh, for the three very different churches um, in Revelation. It was originally written to the churches in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, but that message is still very relevant for us today here at New Life Anakin Church in Oran Park. You can see there are three different churches we're talking about tonight on the map there. I've highlighted them in, um, in red. Let's have a look in the first church in Sardis. Now, Sardis was situated on a junction to five major towns nearby. The city was built on a high point of a mountainous ridge. It gave it control over the whole surrounding region. It was a very strategically important region. The city, along with Philadelphia, were destroyed by an earthquake in AD 17. But it was rebuilt under generous benefaction of the emperor. It was a very wealthy city. But let's have a look at what Jesus said about the church in Sardis in verse 1. It says, I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Now, the word deeds is like Jesus said to them, I know what you've done. It's like if you're a parent and your kids did something wrong, you say to them, I know what you've done. That they're in trouble. Now, the church had a good reputation. To the outsider, had a good reputation. Um, they should be very vibrant and alive, 
like a church in a fancy building, probably meeting in a much bigger space than we have tonight. It was a big church with lots of people and staff. The church with lots of activities, it was the pinnacle of churches, envious of many. Everybody sees the church in Sardis as a flourishing, active, and successful church. Everybody, that is, except for one person, Jesus. Jesus saw that the Sardis church was anything but alive. Outwardly, they are vibrant, but inwardly or spiritually, they are dying. Now, remember, God has a different standard to humans. 1 Samuel 16 says that people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Have a look at verse 3 with me. It tells us more about what their problem was. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. What have they forgotten? They've forgotten the gospel. They've forgotten Jesus. The very gospel that saved them, that they believed at first, and the reason why the church started in the first place. But they had let it go. They let Jesus go, let the gospel go, and now they're spiritually dead. Jesus urges them to repent, to turn back to him. Instead of walking with Jesus, they're walking away from him. Verse 4 tells us that they have soiled their clothes. They have been compromised by the world. They become just like the rest of the world. They were morally corrupted and they were living in sin because they have forgotten the gospel. But it isn't too late for them. Jesus has one command for them. Verse 2, to wake up. I mean, literally, meaning jumping out of the bed. Now, many of us, when alarm goes off um, in the morning, we press the snooze button a few times, or we like to, or our kids do. Uh, we might check our phone, um, we check out our email, on our Facebook, or our news, just to see what the day is like we're waking up to. And we might even procrastinate about our day, to think about what we're going to do. We'll do anything but to get out of bed. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus quite literally means to jump out of bed. About 10 years ago, I was teaching scripture at Janani East Public School for my old church. And from where I was living at the time to the school is about half an hour drive. And when I woke up that morning, I forgot to set my alarm. I woke up and the lesson was going to start in 20 minutes. I remember that day, I literally jumped out of bed. I brushed my teeth very quickly, got changed, hopped me into the car and started driving. It was a good drive that day. I got to the school only five minutes late. You can see, the point of the story was, it was the urgency of the matter. There was no time for me to think about my day, no time for me to check my Facebook, to check my email. Only thing I had to do was to get off my bed, go into the car, and go to the school as soon as, 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 soon as I can. So my need was urgent, and my response had to be immediate. And Jesus is urging the Sardis church to do the same thing, to wake up and to repent because it has eternal consequences. Why they should, should they turn back to Jesus? Verse 5 tells us. It says, those who are victorious, he will never blow out the name of that person from the book of life. Victorious is when the believer, they share in Jesus' victory on the last day and faithfully bear witness to him. And on Judgment Day, it tells us that there are two books in Revelation 20. One book is used to judge the dead or those who don't follow Jesus. 
It records everything they have done. The other book, the Book of Life, records the name of those who trust in Jesus and follow Him. So the the one book that used to judge the dead, it records everything they've done, and all they've done will be used against them on the last day. But the Book of Life records the name of those who believe in Jesus and follow Him, because they are saved by grace through faith. None of their actions will be judged. So Jesus urged them, those who have turned away, wake up. Maybe you have been attending our church for a while, but maybe you haven't really following Jesus and living his way. Outwardly, you might be alive, but spiritually, deep inside, you are dead. But that's not too late. Now is as good a time as any to recommit your life to Jesus. Wake up and repent and say yes to Jesus. Let's look at the next church, the church in Philadelphia. The city of Philadelphia was situated not far from Sardis, about 50 kilometers away. It's on situated fertile land and at the junction of major trade routes. It was a strategic position. But the city, unlike Sardis, was poor. It was prone to earthquake. And like Sardis, it was destroyed by a major earthquake in AD 17. But unlike Sardis, the inhabitants, they were left to themselves to rebuild with no assistance from Rome. That's their first problem, earthquake and their poor. Second problem, living under the Romans, the Christians there, like the rest of the city, they were required by law to worship the emperor. However, they held firm to their faith. But the first commandment tells us we should have no other God except for our God and we shall not worship, bow down to idol. So they held firm to their faith, and they refused to bow down to the emperor, which leads to their third problem, the Jews. Philadelphia have a big Jewish population. The Jews reported the Christian non-compliance to the law, to the Roman authority, and so the church was under constant persecution. <clears throat> However, the Philadelphian Christian, they were still on fire for Jesus. They still remain firm in their faith and follow him. But they were also exhausted. However, verse 8 tells us that they didn't give up. Verse 8, Jesus said to them, I know you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. The Christian there, they lacked the power to fight back. But they held firm and they didn't give in to the persecution and turned their back on Christ. And Jesus reminds them why it is worth it. Because Jesus said, he is the key. He's not just one of the keys, but he is the key, the only key. Verse 7, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shut, no one can open. The door that only Jesus can open is heaven. Under intense persecution from the Jews, their neighbor, and Romans, their government, as well as poverty, it's not hard to see why the Philadelphian Christians would get weary and exhausted to remain firm in their faith. But Jesus reminds them the reason they should is because their rewards in the end will be worth it. He is worth persevering for because he alone holds the key to heaven, no one else. 
I was born in Hong Kong, um, and I moved to Australia when I was 14 and a half years old. I started year eight um, at the Janani High School in the Southern Shire. And the biggest challenge I faced at the time was English. Um, I've learned English in Hong Kong since kindergarten, but it's like learning French or German here. It's not the same. Um, reading and writing were manageable for me, uh, but speaking and hearing were another thing. I didn't have a lot of opportunity to use English in Hong Kong. Uh, we spent an hour a day at school on English at the most, and even then, our teachers aren't very good at English either. A bit like the blind in the blind. And so spending seven hours at school surrounded by kids who spoke only English was a very, very daunting thought. The first day of school was really scary. I remember when I got home, mum was still out, um, so I picked up my sister from school, and I couldn't get in the door, front door. I remember sitting on the, on the back of our apartment, and I started crying. I was really scary. I thought I couldn't go back for another day. But I also knew there's only one option for me, is to persevere. Giving up wasn't an option. Um, so I persevered, and thankfully, both the students and the teachers were very kind to me at Janali, and they were really helpful. I remember during a science lesson, the teacher was going to dictate our notes um, to our class, but she looked at me and then said, I will write on the board, and you guys can just copy it. I was really grateful for her. I knew she did that just for me. See, the other students helped me a lot too. I make friends very quickly, and my English improved very quickly. I remember by the year end, I have no trouble communicating with the students or the teachers there. See, Jesus wants us to show the same perseverance when our Christian work gets tough. Maybe our family, maybe our work, um, maybe our kids, maybe our schoolwork, our education, um, our friends, relationships. Those are the things that will challenge us on our Christian walk, tempting us to give up on Jesus. But we are not alone. We are a part of God's family, and God promised He will help us. Verse 10, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth. Our trial, our hard time, our challenging time will come, but Jesus will protect us. So hold on to him. Verse 11, I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown. Hold on to Jesus. Don't let him go. He will make his follower a key part of his kingdom. Just as a pillar is a key part of a structure in verse 12. I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. So be like the Philadelphia church. They were on fire for Jesus. They were passionate about their faith. We all have different gifts, ability, experience, maturity here. We're all very different. How can we use our God-given talent to serve Him? Our church vision is to live, to give and live the message of new life. We are challenged to be a faithful, adventurous, compassionate, and enduring apprentice of Jesus. So how can we build one another up? How can we encourage our brothers and sisters who may be struggling? How can we welcome those who are new to our church? And how can we live out the message of new life? So use what you have for Christ.
So if you're alive, hold on to Jesus. So we've seen a church that is asleep, a church that is, that is alive. Now let's see a church that is right in between, and that is Laodicea. Laodicea was a, a commercial city, and it was very, very wealthy, a very wealthy city. It was known for its banking, its wool, and medicine industries. A bit like Sydney, um, the people there are very aspirational. They work very hard. They want to provide for their family. They want to climb the ladder. They're a very aspirational city there. The Christians there thought they had everything they needed. In, uh, in today's term, they have money. Um, they have their investment property, probably a few. Um, they have um, good education for them and for their kids. Uh, they have a good retirement fund. Uh, have the latest technology, um, cars, holidays. But... This is what Jesus has to say about them in verses 15 and 16. You are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. And so, because you were lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. They were apathetic, indifferent. Their faith was lukewarm. Who likes their food or their drink lukewarm? Imagine lukewarm coffee, tea, Coke, beer, steak, pizza, chips. Imagine if they're lukewarm. Who would like that? Jesus said that their lukewarm faith disgusts him so much that he just wants to spit them out. And we spit because there's something really gross, really disgusting in our mouth, and we just have to expel it. It's not a socially acceptable behavior. I remember one day I was walking along Kulana Beach, and a fly going to my mouth. I could feel the fly flying in my mouth trying to get out. I could feel its wings vibrating. It was disgusting. It was just the most disgusting thing I've ever had in my mouth. And I just spat it out straight away. I could not care what people thought about me. I just had to get it out of my, out of my mouth. It was so disgusting. And that is how Jesus felt about towards them. He wished they were cold, people that didn't believe in him, or hot, passionate about him but they were indifferent. They were apathetic toward Jesus. Let's look at why in verse 17. You say, I'm rich. I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. The Christian Laodicea thought they have their earthly treasure and that was all they needed. They've forgotten all about Jesus. They were like nominal Christians in name only. It's no wonder why Jesus found them so disgusting, so to spit them out. Have a look with me in verse 20. Uh, it's a really sad um, picture, sad image that Jesus was um, showing them here in verse 20. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. In their quest to find earthly treasure, to pursue earthly treasure, they have locked Jesus out of their life. They have forgotten him altogether. Imagine tonight we're in this room meeting together in this church, but we lock Jesus out. Imagine that sad picture. But what is really sad is Jesus is knocking again and again and again. He says, if anybody hears my voice and opens the door, 
He's patiently knocking on the door, waiting for them to hear him and let him in. I think it's a very humble action from Jesus. Maybe you're someone who's been coming to church and life group for a long time, but maybe you've become indifferent to Jesus and what the cross means to you. Jesus is a message for you as he had for the church in Laodicea in verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refining fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Like the Laodicea in church, if you have become lukewarm in your faith, turn back to Jesus. Let him reignite your faith. The three things Jesus needs to do, um, gold, white clothes, and salve, are referring to the economy, the banking, fine wood, and medicine industry, to their earthly treasure. He's saying to them that real treasure can only be found in him, nothing else. And I'm saying this to myself too, I'm preaching this sermon to myself as well. There are times I feel I'm totally on fire for Jesus. Yet Satan is always at work trying to put that fire out of us with our pressure, with our family, work, our friends, schools, our kids, education. It's the same for you too. Maybe you're facing the same issue as well. I find that when I feel I'm slipping away, I need to pray. I need to go back to God. I need to ask Him to help me in this spiritual battle. But Jesus promised He will fight with us. Satan will always pounce on our weakness and destroy us. But Jesus is far more powerful than Satan. He's defeated Him already. I also find it very helpful to go back to God's Word. Regularly soaking up God's Word will equip you in this battle. Our church has a daily Bible reading plan. If you haven't gotten it already, write down your communication card. We'll make sure we get it to you as soon as we can. One chapter a day is a good start. It will help us, equip us to fight this spiritual battle. So if you're feeling apathetic about God, go seek Him. And we have seen tonight, we have seen three very different responses a Christian can make to Jesus. If you're asleep, wake up. Or if you're alive, hold on to him. But if you're feeling apathetic, then seek him. I think we can experience those three at different times. Um, it's certainly true for me. But we are called to be faithful, adventurous, compassionate, and enduring apprentice to Jesus. We should be daring in the spirit and running to win the prize. Yet the Christian journey is often can be a difficult one. There are lots of obstacles in this race, but the reward will be worth it. If we cling on to Jesus, we'll be victorious on the last day, spending eternal life with him in heaven, and nothing can take that away from us. Jesus promised us he will protect us from Satan. He promised that those who trust and follow him will inherit eternal life with him in heaven forever. He wants us to be on fire for him in our life. How do we can do this is to attend a life group we haven't already, where we can encourage one another, we can pray for one another, study God's word together, and do life together with one another, so we can help one another 
equip one another in this spiritual battle. Let me ask Jesus to help us do that. Dear Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you, uh, you are God that who saves. We thank you that um, Jesus has defeated the devil on the cross. And we pray that you help us, equip us um, to fight this, special, this spiritual battle. Help us to cling on to you and to be on fire for you. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Question time. Questions without notice. I just, I just uh, encouraged Michael to do one more slide, and he's like, oh, that's right. Oh, stop Daddy. Yeah, yeah you, you can't sit down yet, Michael. <laughs> Thanks so much, mate. That's really encouraging. Are there people with uh, questions uh, to follow up our, um, our message tonight, things that you'd like to ask uh, Michael from that message? Brilliant. <laughs> Michael, you're praying, you're praying that there's no questions. Are there any questions? Great. You can follow Michael up in person. There you go, Michael. You're free to go. <laughs> yeah, Your hard you. labour is finished, my friend. Well thank done. You. Um, thank you. Uh, mate, that was, um, that was really encouraging. What we're going to do now is um, Ali's uh, prepared uh, prayer for us to reflect on uh, tonight's message, having heard it this morning. So thanks, Ali. If you can come and lead us in prayer, that'd be great.